It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What's up? No, I was just going to ask, like, you've already interviewed us about this same film, so what's the point? I know. We're about to find out. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to another special Between Takes episode of Missing Frames. I'm your host, Sean Eastridge. So a year ago, I saw a little film called Reckoning at the 2019 Atlanta Film Festival starring Daniel Deadweiler. And back then I spoke with the film's writing-directing duo, a husband and wife team, Ruckus and Lane Sky, about their amazing film. So now, one year later, the film is finally available for your viewing pleasure under the title The Devil to Pay. So it's available on streaming platforms. Go find it. Go out and find it. And the opportunity happened to come up again. Uh, the, The film's PR team reached out to me and they hadn't realized I'd spoken with Ruckus and Lane. And they said, hey, do you want to talk to them about The Devil to Pay? And I said, actually, I already did do that, but of course I want to talk to them again. They're awesome. Why wouldn't I want to talk with them again? So Ruckus, Lane, and I play catch-up one year later, or I guess a year and a half after our first conversation back in April 2019. And we talk about the long process of getting this film out to the public. We exchange uh, a few more stories uh, and talk a bit more about the production of The Devil to Pay and the storytelling process, how you craft slow burn tension without boring your audience and, and all kinds of fun, fun stuff. So just a heads up, we do get into some spoiler territory here. I'm giving you the warning now. So if you haven't seen The Devil to Pay, I highly recommend you do. Go do that first and then come back. And actually, no, here's the deal. Go watch The Devil to Pay. Then go back and listen to my first conversation with Ruckus and Lane. It's it's a Between Takes episode number 0.10. And it was released in April 2019. So watch The Devil to Pay. Go listen to that. And then you will be fully prepared for this episode. I mean, you don't have to go listen to the first interview, but you should. This is like a sequel to that. And then I'll feel like you love me and that would make me so happy and pleased. And I mean, why not? You want to make me happy, don't you? Then do it. Do all of the above. Anyway, I I really hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope by this point you've gone and watched the movie. You understand why I love it so much and that you've listened to this other conversation and you're ready. You want to jump right into it. I'm going to stop chattering. Let's get to it. Hope you enjoy. Now available to own on video cassette. Okay, so first of all, I just want to point out we we talked a year and a half ago, and this was when reckoning. It was reckoning at the time. It's now the devil to pay, and it was 
at the Atlanta Film Festival of 2019. It premiered there. I loved it. Everybody loved it. It won. I, I don't think when we spoke, it had won Best of Georgia Film. I think it won almost right after our conversation because we don't we didn't talk about that in the interview. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it happened after the awards had happened. So the funny thing about it was at the time I asked you, I said, I can't wait for people to see this movie because it's amazing. Uh, when is it coming out? And you said, ask me in a year. We can talk again in a year. And we're talking right now. So I feel like this is like my Richard Linklater experiment, I think. I'm, we're going we're gonna to meet again every nine years to have a conversation about a movie that came out. Well, wasn't that two, actually two years ago? Or is that only a year ago? It was, a year and a half. It was April 2019. Did we really so, say that? Ask me in a year? Yeah. That's funny. Literally a year and a half. And you said, I thought that was so funny. I was like, I have to bring that up when I talked to them. And you, again, <laughs> you guys, I want to make clear to the audience, you two are at a disadvantage because I just re-listened to our episode and as I already made clear, it breaks my heart that you're not listening to it on repeat on the radio. <laughs> but I, that gives me some advantage over this. But I mean, that it took a while. Mm-hmm. And you guys said you shot it in, in 2018? 27, at the very end of 2017. Oh like, my God. So it's been, it's been three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it took a long, well, you know, we had a, it was a very low budget movie. So uh, post-production took longer because of that, because we did a lot of that work ourselves. So there was a mm-hmm. year just finishing the film. Yeah. Then we had a year festival run. And, and then, then we actually got our distribution deal a lot earlier than our release date, but it got pushed because, because of COVID and all of that. So, so um, yeah. So it just came out in, on VOD. So nothing more frustrating than a global pandemic delaying your movie even further. <laughs> so yeah. that's yeah. fun. Now you know you're, you've made it. You've definitely made it in Hollywood. <laughs> It was so exciting to start to see because I'd been kind of keeping an eye out because the second it was going to be released, I was going to start pushing and being like, everyone, you need to see this movie. And then it kind of, I hadn't heard anything. I was like, well, I hope it's still coming out or that it didn't just disappear. And then when I started seeing posters for it and started seeing advertisements for it, that's really exciting. I mean, three years later to finally get to see, I can't remember the artist who did it, but the one of Danielle, just the, the poster of her looking, it's like a, an- Oh yeah, with the holding the crow. Yeah. How cool is that to find, yeah, yes. Amazing. The company called Smudge. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, it, it's a yeah. beautiful, beautiful poster. They do a beautiful job. Very exciting. How cool is it now to finally be able to like get cool stuff that you can post on your social media and yeah, share and fun. have posters? We're, we're so happy because we've been sitting on it for a while and then you start questioning, well, is it even any good? <laughs> it's so long and it's like up until this release you had to have either seen it at a festival or knew us personally in order to see it and so now you don't have to know us in order to see it which <laughs> you can go see it right now yeah. let's make sure okay. people know that you'll yeah. get i'll give you the scoop the exclusive scoop we just Please. um we just closed on an international distribution deal so hopefully soon people outside of the u.s people outside of the united states will be able to get oh the timing is also perfect because when i I rewatched it and honestly part of the reason i was so excited to talk to you two again is because it gave me an excuse to rewatch the film and i hadn't seen it since the festival and again uh, just just in case it wasn't clear when the last time i gushed about it uh, i i love this movie so much it's great i think it was my favorite film from uh, the 2019 festival so i've been anxiously awaiting and uh, i spoke with danielle because she did an experimental short that we talked about and she uh, submitted it to the 2020 festival but all of this is to say it's amazing that now people can see it that i can push for it and also the timing is perfect because watching it again i was like you know, this kind of does work as a Halloween movie. 
it kind of does. It's not overtly a horror movie, but there are elements of horror. There, there's gore. There's, uh, there is a forest. Forests always creep me out. It's like very mountainous and and tribal people and things like that. But is that something that thinking about it, can you see it as somebody's favorite quote unquote Halloween movie? I don't know. I mean, we 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 shot it in October. We actually started production on Halloween. Oh yeah, we did on October thirty first. On Halloween, so it's totally a Halloween Halloween movie. Uh, but we've had a lot of conversations recently about genre and what people could. A lot of people are calling this a horror movie, which is interesting to us because I I keep saying this. I think of it as a straight family drama <laughs> 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 at its core, with uh, you know. With some genre elements. With some genre elements in it. There's some violence and there's some dark humor. But, you know, we say, we like to say that we write movies, we, are, we write heartwarming movies where people are murdered. That's, <laughs> that's, that's how we think of things. You've got um, the market cornered. But at, yeah, we got the, but at its core, it's always has to be, uh, what's the human emotional drama, dramatic part of it? And then you put genre on top of that. But it's totally, this movie has totally been embraced by, the horror community in a way I never expected. You know, uh, you know, I, most I think of it as a thriller. We set out to make a Southern Gothic kind of tall tale. And, but it, because it has some weird elements in it, um, you know, the cult always throws people if they're not expecting that. <laughs> it's a little left turn. And, uh, but yeah, we've been, I, like, I don't mean that in any bad way. I love, I love that horror fans are embracing it. Um, yeah, it just was unexpected for us, but we did play at a couple of genre festivals after Atlanta. We played at Genre Blast and the Nightmares. Really well received there. We won like the Audience Award and the Juror Award and then we played Nightmares. And so like, yeah, it's just been great to see how genre fans have embraced the film. So yeah. I was actually nervous playing at a straight genre festival because of the, what I said earlier. It feels... And because there are long parts where there's no jumps and there's no, you know, mm. and I'm like, are, are they bored or, you know, they're totally like, <laughs> That's totally something bored. I brought up with Danielle. She, I told her, and I've told you to this as well, but uh, when I saw the film, I didn't know what I was about to watch. It literally was, I just come out of seeing another film. And then a couple of my, my uh, critic friends were like, all right, we're going in to see this movie. It is, it's like, this is the second screening because the first one had been sold out. So the buzz was surrounding this film. They're like, do you want to go see it? I was like, I don't know. It's what time is it? 11 o'clock? I'm about to fall asleep. So they ushered me into the theater. Kind of, I was just like, all right, well, at least I can sleep if I don't like it. And, <laughs> but even with the slowness of it and the deliberate methodical pacing, especially in the first half, I was just riveted. And something I didn't ask you in our first conversation that I really wanted to ask you this time, it really did occur to me. I was like, you know, there, there isn't, in terms of what you expect from genre film, in terms of what you expect from thriller, this film really does take its time building the world. And it's part of what's so brilliant about it. And I know you kind of joked about it, like didn't talk about the budget, but you did say we wanted it to look more expensive than it actually was. And it 100% does. A lot of that revolves around the fact that you build that world and you take the time setting up the rules. How do you as filmmakers, not only as writers, but as, as editors, directors, where do you find that balance? Like how do you instinctively kind of find, okay, well, is this a little too slow? Where do we draw the line and what, what's the, the good way or what's the best way to ensure that you're still engaging an audience when you're kind of taking your time like that? Yeah, that's, that's like a 
That's an excellent question. question. I don't know that we know. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of it is instinctual yeah, and just, just taste. Like we like movies that have slow burns, you know, they build, like they take time to get you invested in the characters and the world and then they, you know, keep ratcheting up the stakes. Just, yeah, um, slow boil, that's our, that's kind of, we, 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 we kept, we kept using the word noir thinking about this film too as well. And a lot of those, old film noirs are the same way they, they're a little slower in the beginning and you, you and you're having to learn it should yeah it's just taste and, and instinct and I will say I mean we making the film we cut what felt right and then two years later I absolutely could not I would if I cut it right now I would like cut it so fast it would be stupid <laughs> because I know it and I've seen it but like you know at the we just had to rely on our instincts at the time about what we Felt right, and even on set, I remember one of the few uh, Jason Warner Smiths, an, an excellent, excellent actor who's in the film. He's the guy that knocks on the door in the, in the beginning. And um, one of the few, um, you know, our first scene with him, one of the few notes I gave him was like, "Hey, man, slow down. Don't. We don't have to be in a rush at all." Because um, he came out, he came out the gate like at a certain pace, and I was like, "Yeah, man, this is like we're on a mountain. It's all cool." <laughs> you know, I just rem I remember that moment going, "Yeah, let, we should slow it down." And and that and that, it's just instinct. And um, I don't know how beyond that. It's just the if you start looking at some of our favorite films, that's kind of the vibe of them. Well, you do. I mean, it works, and there. I think that's what elevates a lot of it because we spend so much time with these people, and even uh, the the two brothers, uh, Wade and Dixon. They're yeah. almost like. I mean, they're the I. I wrote down in my notes, the babysitters, quote unquote. Yeah, um, totally. You almost, you, you, you kind of love them. Like mm -hmm. the, the only character I think you personally for me that I really, really hated in the right way was, um, was, was the mother, uh, Tommy. She like the, the kind of character you love to hate. Like she's just so good. And the best part is she plays it like, oh, cookies are ready. Or like, here, let me show you like very, very, especially at the end when Lemon shows up, has got a shotgun on her, and her immediate reaction is like, well, let me defuse the situation. And Lemon's like, no, <laughs> we're good. We're do I'm done defusing the situation. And I love that so much, but it also is so integral to Lemon's character. We see her kind of, she's, she's just really a mother, and they, the only unique situation here is that they, they're isolated. They have to do a lot of stuff on their own. She has to take care of her son, but, you know, it, it's, it's mostly like she's not a superhero. She's not like somebody who's out there like kicking ass all the time. By necessity, she has to take on those traits. And by building that and slowly showing her just completely out of her element, it makes those payoffs at the end and those last, especially the last 30 minutes where like literally you're just kind of on the edge of your seat, it makes it so worthwhile. But we wouldn't get that without those careful character beats. Yeah. I mean, that was so important. And that's what's been interesting. Several people have referred to it as a revenge thriller. And to us, that was the opposite of what we were doing, is that at every moment along the way, she resists. She doesn't want to kill people. She doesn't want to hurt people. She just wants everyone to obey the rules the way she's been doing it. And she's, her hand is forced because she has to protect her son. Uh, <clears throat> that was important to us that it, you know, when we were writing it at some point, we, we, we had the conversation out loud wait, does this just become a free-for-all where she just kills everyone? And we're like, no, that's not the kind of story we want to tell. You know? Yeah, yeah, because so. you've seen that in films where a regular character that you're following suddenly becomes a murderer, and you're like, I guess I'm still with them. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. it was important for us to maintain her humanity. Um, 
and that like moral struggle struggle for her through the whole process. Well, you see it with Wade and Dixon, right? Like she she murders Wade in about the most brutal way as she murders anybody in the film. But Dixon, she lets live and she's kind of like, you're lucky I'm letting you live. And the performances are so good and the writing is so good that you almost kind of like them, even though they're terrible. And I, I think a lot of that's in the writing. A lot of that is because of, of, of Brad and Jason. They're just very charming people and because of that when they it finally comes you're totally on lemon's side but you're almost like oh well he had it coming but i'm glad i'm glad dixon's okay (laughs) but is he okay though he's sitting eh, okay okay relatively speaking he might be okay you have to ask grady yeah it's up to grady Uh, for the sequel that's always important for us to try to make all the characters as real people and there's good side and bad side to everybody and um and it's okay to it's okay to uh to enjoy those characters because again and for a very long time as far as you know i mean as far as they know all they're doing is doing what's right by the creed they don't know that that someone else has uh, gone against everything that they believe so they think they're doing the right thing and that's why yeah i like those guys they uh those two guys like have known of each other forever and but never had worked together until this film so it was a lot of fun they had sort of been stealing roles from each other for a while because they would go up for similar characters and then one of them would get it or the other would get it. So it was so fun. But we both separately knew them and were friendly with them. So it was so fun to put them together. Jason Jason said, uh, he said, we're the the R2-D2 and C-3PO of this They really, that's (laughs) great. Yeah. And so I was like, we need to do a spinoff, like a prequel with just those two guys going around. Yeah, I think they've actually auditioned for other movies together as a team because of, of... Like I know I know Jason so asked for a clip of the film with them together because he was trying to get them both in a movie <laughs> to show that they can play with each other. But yeah, I love I assume I love them and and like even uh, Adam Boyer who plays Bull there's since you've already spoiled a bunch of stuff. There's a moment in the film where she's begging for, you know, her son's life and he's like, "Yeah, I know that's tough." And he's being genuine in the mo- I mean, he's yeah. genuine in the yeah. moment. He's like, "Yeah, I know it's this sucks, but I'm still going to do this." Right. You know. That's a line I specifically wrote down because yeah. I just was so, again, so perfectly, perfect. just like, yeah, it's yeah. tough. Like, you know, genuinely sympathetic, <laughs> but like, I got to kill you. Sorry. Yeah. We talked to Adam about that for a while and uh, he just embraced it. I was like, yeah, that's, that's the rules. <laughs> Do you guys like, so that's something um, I, I, I write as well. And something I struggle with is putting characters in what seem like impossible situations and then finding a way to get them out of that. But that's always something I've thought about. And that's a, I'm glad you brought up that scene because that's a scene, again, as I'm watching it, I couldn't remember exactly how Lemon got out of it. How do you come up with, like, do you guys like challenging yourselves with situations like that where a character is backed up against the wall and you're like, how are we gonna get them out of this? Do you find that fun? Or do you find that kind of like, oh God, we gotta figure this out? Or is it just, you know, how does it work typically? Yeah, it's really fun. It's the puzzle box part of it. that It's the problem solving. That's fine. And every script we've ever written has at least five of those scenes where we're like, <laughs> like, even if we have a treatment phase where we have to pitch producers like, okay, and then this will happen in a, you know, we'll write it out in a treatment. They'll be like, great. But like, how specifically is that? And we're like, I don't know yet. We'll figure it out. And then we get to that point. And it's like, oh, what were we thinking? I had no idea how this is going to work. Uh, but we always solve it. It just yeah. is a lot of... Um, and the more we do it, a lot of times we realize all the elements that we need to solve it are already there in the scene. And we just, oh yeah, we put this here. That's, she could totally use that. That's fine. Like, yeah. So it's, I think we do some of it instinctually now where we just like our brains place the things we need to solve the problem in the scene already. But I mean, to me, 
you've seen the film twice now, like in that scene, since again, we've spoiled a bunch of stuff. Every time I see it, when you see him put the gun down, you immediately go, oh, obviously she's going to get that later in the scene, but no one, no one sees that coming and no one, yeah. you know, yeah. but well, yeah. I think that scene gets so intense and like the camera's moving in closer and closer to each of them that you forget anything exists outside of this conversation. That and, having. and that actor, Luce Reigns, who plays Percy he's Knox, so, good. so happy with what he did. He was so, and like, he was, he's like, I'm only in one scene. You know, he really kind of wanted a bigger thing, but I'm like, it had, people have to think, oh, this guy is so good. He's obviously going to be in the rest of the movie. You know, he has yes. to, it's right. like Drew Barrymore at the beginning point. of Scream, right? You was like, well, you don't get her in your movie unless she's going to be in the whole movie, you know, but yeah. that's how we wanted, that's how I was trying to explain to, is like, you have, to, it has to be out of nowhere when what happens happens. Oh, yeah, Thank and thanks a lot for that, because that, that shotgun blast still makes me like, oh my God, like, my <laughs> wife, when, when I showed, when I showed the movie to her last year, I, I had to leave to do something, like, there was another event I had to go to at the festival, and I was like, just, we, I watched the first 20 minutes with her, and I'm like, you're gonna love it, and she texted me afterwards and she's like, I did love it. That was amazing. Also, that shotgun scared the shit out of me. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, me too. I saw it in a movie theater. So imagine yeah, yeah. like, oh my God. Something I admired watching it again was just the way you craft the tension. And you talk about putting, you, you already have the clues in there as to how to figure out certain moments, certain beats. Like, oh yeah, we already built up to that. We can actually use this element we planted earlier. I love the way you take that time and you make things work in that way to speak to character but also finding the tension was that something when you were on set and you're directing because again this is your this is your first feature and it was almost I it was almost made out of necessity because you were kind of tired of sitting around waiting for this other project it was a uh, another script that we've been trying to make for seven years now we still um <laughs> uh, but that script, but it's not the only film we want to whether make. we make ever make that one or not, that was the one that started getting passed around. The script started getting passed around and people started asking us to write for them. Uh, so whether that movie gets made or not, it's done so much for our career. I mean, that started our career as screenwriters. So yeah. you know, I'm grateful for that. Uh, but that movie, that entire movie is, it takes place in one room. And it, it literally is nothing but how do you, how's this guy going to get out of that? And then how's he going to get out of that? How's he going to get out of that? Yeah, yeah. it's just mousetrap after so, mousetrap. Yeah. In a year, in a year, we're going to come back and talk about that one. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe a little longer than a year. But, uh, but it, no, in terms of, of building tension, are there any filmmakers you admire? Hmm. Like that really, like that you were like going into this? And I'm sure it was nerve wracking. I mean, you, you, it's such a confident debut. It doesn't feel like a first feature. It feels <laughs> like you've been doing this for so long but were you as you were prepping where you're like let's go back and watch this movie to kind of get a feel for this or or is there any filmmaker that you think does tension particularly well that you think you might have subconsciously kind of emulated as you were making this i mean everybody talks about hitchcock because he's the the originator the godfather of, of I tension don't, i don't i do I, but you I, don't. I don't <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what's interesting about us as a team. Is we have yeah, we have different tastes on things. Uh, um, but yeah. I think I, probably the Coen brothers had a ton of influence on The Coens, for sure, are great at building very unique worlds. World and, building and, and, and tone management, and tone that management. type of thing. Early Fincher movies, I think mm -hmm. he's pretty great at... Uh, yeah, Seven is Seven. a near-perfect I love Seven so much. Um, um, and then, uh, I don't know, it just, it's just almost every movie on our shelf is, is a is thriller. A thriller. 
or uh, you know horror thriller or in that so that's just kind of in our DNA you know the type of stuff we like to watch so and you know it, it, coming back to it's very gratifying that you say it's a confident directorial debut um, you know we've been at that point we've been trying to direct a feature for 15 years so it's not like it was just out of nowhere we decided to make a feature and that's that's why hopefully if it is confident if people believe it's good it's because we've been building up to that for so long um, directing short films and music videos and commercials and things like that. So it wasn't, I, I hate anyone to see it and think that we just dropped in out of nowhere and, and never directed it. Like never, never been thought about before. it and then suddenly yeah. Yeah. But it was, it did take a lot longer to get there than we had hoped. Uh, but we were ready to shoot. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about uh, a movie I haven't seen as we've already established, Becky. Um, you guys, you I assume you had that script, the way the timing works, you guys must have had that script during the production of Devil well, to Pay. Well, back, let's back up. I have to be very clear. We, yeah. that was a job we got hired to rewrite someone else's. Okay. okay. So we, that's not our from scratch idea. It's not our from scratch idea, no. We okay. did a pretty significant rewrite on it, but uh, we got hired to do it um, shortly after we wrapped production on um, The Devil to Pay. So we wrapped in like November and we got hired in January to, to write Becky. Um, and we did it very quickly and they were like, yeah, we're going to go into production very quickly. And then a year later, it took them a year to get um, that movie made. They finally went into production last uh, fall. Um, they went out to Toronto and shot that. So, yeah, so it was, it was just crazy how, and then they got theirs out earlier, but, mm-hmm. but by like three months. Yeah. So, it, but it, and then the timing ended up being pretty great because we did get a, a good bit of attention because Becky, Becky ended up being number one in the box office two weekends in a row because of drive-ins. Oh, nice. no, no new movies were coming out because yeah. of COVID. Well, take, it, no, no, take the credit for it. You don't have to mention <laughs> that. You don't have to be like, oh, there weren't any other movies. No, no, no. Number one, it, let's it do that. Up, it became a little drive-in hit, which was really good. And it yeah. is totally a great drive-in movie. Yeah, um, it is a great drive-in. But that, that's gotten a little extra eyes on this film uh, because of that as well. So the timing, like I, it, it was frustrating that it took three years to come out, but also it ended up being great because of that. So, you know, it's just you can plan all you want and then the universe is going to tell you what's actually going to happen, you know? So. And you've been, that, that was kind of how you got your start, right? You were kind of writing and rewriting and people would hire you to write. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we still do a lot of, we still do yeah. a lot of screenwriting. That's kind of our day job as uh, yeah. writing for other people in other directions. And we love doing it. It's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. But like I said, we, we accidentally became screenwriters. We started writing because we wanted to direct films and we needed something to direct because we didn't have scripts but then other people started liking our writing and we've kind of embraced that so and also you know like it takes two years of your life to make a film and whereas we can write a script for someone else in a couple of months and still have been involved in a creative project that gets out in the world like we've written three scripts this year for other people's and that's wow. like you know even during covid shutdown those will eventually become films and you know it's just putting more stuff out into the world yeah we get our fingerprints on some stuff and make make more art so uh yeah let me ask you this is it and i I, i'm sure there has to be a uh politically correct answer to this to not anger anybody but is it a little frustrating to write a screenplay especially now that you've directed and it's like people clearly clearly are like uh yes please keep doing that Uh, (laughs) i'm one of those people for sure um is it a little kind of like all right well Here's the script. Somebody else is going to direct it. Is, has there, and you don't, I mean, of course, I don't want to out anybody, but has, has it ever been a situation where you've watched one of those movies and been like, you know, if we had done this, I wouldn't have done it this way. I would have done, you know, like, is it, you guys have had a taste now. Finally, you've been building up to that moment. And, and I imagine it might be a little bit like, kind of like, ah, damn it. I'd rather do that myself. Well, I mean, obviously we would have different tastes. I, I will say that we've, 
we haven't had a film made that we wrote for ourselves to make and then someone else made it. If we had written The Devil to Pay for us to make, it never happened, then someone else bought it and went off and made it and did something different with it. That would be frustrating, I would understand that. 99% of the screenwriting work we get is, will you write this for us? Will you adapt this book? Or will you do a rewrite of this script that already exists? And so we know going in that we're not directing it. And so we've already kind of learned to let go of you know, that. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. we're, we're just here as part of the team to help them with their vision. And you have to do that or else you, you, know, you have to be a team player when you're doing that for hire. And it is, it's always different, you know, how we see the film in our head. You know, you, you're directing as you're writing just because you can't help it. Um, and then you see another director's interpretation of what you wrote, and it's always going to be different. And that doesn't necessarily mean bad, different. It just means... It doesn't mean better or worse. You it's know, just different, yeah. different, different. So, yeah, yeah there's definitely, like, a, a certain amount of watching it, and you're like, oh, yeah, I would have done that different. But that doesn't mean it's better or worse, I guess. It's just a diplomatic answer. So, because you said... <laughs> Because you brought up the other thing, I have to explain. Oh. So the first script we wrote that we're still trying to make seven years later is called Rattle the Cage. And then when did it get made? 2003? 2005? I don't Someone know. Correct me. Anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. The point, is, <laughs> the point is that script got made in Arabic in another language. Mm-hmm. But we held on to the English language rights, and that's why we're still going to be able to make our version. Right. So even in that point where we wrote it for ourselves, it, it, it was like, we let go of an idea, you guys go make your version and do whatever you want. And it doesn't matter if you do something insane that we don't like, uh, because we're still going to make our version. Uh, and we ended up really liking that version. It's on Netflix right now, if anyone wants to check it out, if you don't mind reading subtitles. But again, we haven't been in a position where we wrote something that we, if we were that passionate about it, we wouldn't let it go or sell it. So, right. yeah. so that's, that's the reality of it. But it is cool to see other people interpret the things that we've done because sometimes we do find things that, you know, we might not have found in the material. Even on the smallest level, uh, you know, actors interpreting your lines on set on something we undeveloped the page. Yeah. There's several things where like, oh, wow, that's not the way I pictured it when we were writing it, but it's it's cool and it's better and we're not, you know, I'm not going to try to give them a line reading to do it the way we thought. You know? Is there a particular example you can remember on Devil to Pay that that might have happened? As I was saying you set that, yourself up for that. I, mean, I know. As I was saying that, I was <laughs> yeah. for your. Uh, you're well. You're welcome. Can I pull the, the card that this is three years ago? So I don't remember specifically. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I can't remember. There, it's, are, it's there are moments that, like with Brad and and Jason, where they would ad lib a little bit at the end of the scene or or whatever, and then um, that would end up in the film. So. Well, I think one of my favorite little exchanges in the movie is you know how to cook eggs. I don't know if you remember that little beat. One of my favorite little beats. So that scene was in the movie, but the little tag at the end after she leaves, we were doing rehearsals and Jason kind of threw that on there. And I was like, oh my God, I'm writing that. We got to remember to do that on set. Yeah. And he has no recollection of that because I brought it up. I was like, remember when you did that in rehearsal? He's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. But uh, <laughs> so it feels like we wrote it, but, um, but I really think it's the smallest thing. I mean, it was already, it was already in the script, you know, the, the setup of it, but you know, but that's, that's what we love about collaborating with actors and, and other people, just filmmaking in general is like, hopefully everyone's elevating what's there. And, you know, if we could do every single thing ourselves, I guess we would just be novelists. So the point is just to surround yourself <laughs> with people that are more talented. Yeah, than it's you a collaborative art try to elevate it. I mean, that's why we collaborate as a team. People ask us about that all the time. And it's like, well, yeah, I could write something on my own or she could too, but we both know that if we do it together, it's going to be better. So why, why not do that? What happened as far as you moved to LA? Now I guess it wouldn't have been that long after the festival, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't that long. We've been here about a year. Yeah, we've been here about a year. A year so. A what motive? So what motivated? I mean, obviously, LA it's the place to be for screenwriters. But like, what did you well, finally good. just say? Like, let's do it. Yeah. Well, we went back and forth several times a year and have been doing that for a while. And last year we came out here twice in the spring and a couple of opportunities and things came up because we were physically here and it became clear that we were missing out on stuff by not physically being here. It was like, we, we met a producer and she was like, she was like, let's get coffee. And we were on a flight the next day and we, we were like, yeah, let's, let's meet tomorrow. And we pushed our flight a day. We didn't tell her that's what we did, but that was that meeting and it went really well and we're still in touch with that person. And I was like, if we lived here, we wouldn't have to have done that, you know? Yeah. And, you know, so it's just a business decision. And, um, but we love Georgia and our long-term yeah. plan is to come back to Georgia. Uh, we don't want to retire here in LA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah it's, a, it's a business decision. Yeah. yeah. But, um, uh, you know, all our original scripts that we have that we want to direct next are all Southern and I hope we can shoot them and, you know, come back to Georgia and shoot them if we get them greenlit. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about that because right now I'm, I'm sure as filmmakers, this is extremely frustrating because this industry in particular is so, everyone's affected by COVID and all this stuff, which is just insane. As filmmakers, I'm sure it's extremely frustrating. You, you're having this, this film that you directed finally out in the world. I'm sure, pe I mean, people are talking about it. People love it. The reviews have been great and it's opening up doors, I'm sure. And you're having to sit on these scripts that you're like, let's get back out there and do it again. But like, I want to, I've been talking to a few different filmmakers. I want to hear from you two. How do you feel about what's going on right now? And what do you think the future of like movies and, and movie going is going to be? I have a very positive outlook that I think once we finally get a virus, I mean, a we have a virus. We have <laughs> don't a get the virus. <laughs> Once we have we a vaccine have and, and uh, everyone with, with a decent IQ realizes the vaccines are safe <laughs> and you should take them, that uh, the world will get back to normal and movies will become normal again. And I think we'll, everything will get back to normal, I think. I don't yeah. think this is going to irreparably damage the entire, I mean, it is damaging the industry, but I don't think it's the end of films and theaters, and I don't think it's the end of filmmaking as we know it. I think, yeah, the communal experience of going to a movie theater and watching a movie, like, that's such a powerful event that I don't think it'll completely disappear from our culture if we can figure out a way to do it safely. And, you know, theaters like the Plaza Theater in Atlanta have done everything they can to make it a safe experience. You know, they've, they're doing social distancing and a special cleaning and door, you know, pulls with your feet and whatever. I, we'll figure it out. We'll figure out how to make it safe again um, with or without a vaccine. And I think that part will continue. When do you think you'll be able to do another film as far as directing goes? What do you know. anticipate? I mean, I don't know. Do you have any money? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk. We'll talk offline. Yeah. I mean, 99% of indie filmmaking of reasons it doesn't happen is lack of funding. And it's just insane. That's the insane part of it. But, but can you use, that. can you use this film? Like, is it, because again, now it's available to the public. Are you hearing, are you feeling anything? Like, is there any kind of like all of a sudden like, oh, hey, I just saw that movie. Let's talk about it. Like, do you, uh, what's the answer? <laughs> <laughs> There are some things that are that have started happening which increase our chances of, of shooting soon um hopefully we're hoping next year that we'll be shooting something and you know this film like you said we finished it a while ago so just you know a little inside baseball like people at people in the industry have seen this movie already well before it got released because our our, our agent will share it with people and things like that so you know things are always in the works it's like we have four different features at various stages of 
development. And you have to do that because one of them, if you're insanely lucky, one might work, one might happen, you know? So it's just constantly juggling that and uh, trying to just get as many balls in the air as you can so that one of them happens when it can go. Um, I'm probably not going to say anything. I just wanted to make a statement. (laughs) (laughs) We're writing something right now for someone who is supposedly going to start shooting in two weeks. So movies are getting made. Uh, people are finding ways to shoot movies. So I just, I don't think it's, like I was saying, I'm trying to be positive, but I don't think it's the end of cinema as we know. Uh, at the same time, I feel insanely fortunate that we are screenwriters and can make a living writing, which is the one thing in the film industry that has not stopped. Since <laughs> That's day, true. You know? Yeah, this is so. the good position to have. <laughs> so a year ago when we chatted, uh, I, I asked you, because of my podcast, Missing Frames, uh, we watch all the movies we should have seen by this point in our lives. So I'm going to follow up and see if you two have seen the movies that you told me you hadn't seen at the oh, time. No. Um, can, I, can I try to guess what I told you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I tell you Godfather? Yep. I still haven't seen it. <laughs> what did I say? I don't remember. You said, do you want to? Do you want to guess? No, I don't want to. Okay, it was. Uh, you were telling me uh, Ingmar Bergman. Oh, did I say a specific film? No, you were just like, I need to see more Ingmar Bergman movies, which yeah. Ingmar Bergman is one of my favorite filmmakers. So get on my I level. Have, I know you have watched. I have watched some. I don't know if I've watched them in the last year. I think yeah. when we spoke, you'd only seen Wild Strawberries, I want to say. No, I've seen Hour of the Wolf and I've seen, um, what's the one with the sisters where one of them dies, but she's not really dead. Is that, uh, uh, oh, oh, why am I blank? Cries and Whispers? Cries and Whispers. We yeah. just scrolled is... past for someone the other day, and you were, uh, was on one of the streamers. I know. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I gotta watch that. Uh, <laughs> so it's on a run. No, but I, I did watch, um, I did recently watch a, an Agnes Varda movie, which was so Oh, cool. yeah, yeah. Um, I watched, um, what is it, Cleo from Five Cleo to Seven? Five to Seven, yeah. That's the first one I've seen. It's the only one I've seen, but I loved it. Yeah, it was great. Like, I, it, I, she's been on my list forever, and I, I just randomly watched it one day, and I was like, why have I not watched this before? It's so good. You guys had Decalogue on your shelf, and I still haven't seen Decalogue, but I remember I, I spoke with you two. I spoke with Joseph Cross, who directed uh, uh, Summer Night, which was also at the 2019 Atlanta Film Festival, and that was a film he brought up, and I thought it was so strange that he mentioned that to me, and then I went to your place, and you were like, oh, have you seen Decalogue? <laughs> I was like, clearly, I need to see this movie, and I still haven't. So that's, well, that's a missing, personal missing frame I still have to see, but it seems so depressing. It's 10 films. That's right. I, I haven't seen yeah. any of them. They're so <laughs> but you own it, at least. That's, you know. Yeah. It's you got there. the pedigree from owning it. Again, like we have European cinemas. I we have there's a lot of crossover interface, and then there's a lot that we you know go in different directions. And and I always try to tell people the reason we collaborate is like if we had the exact same taste, one of us would be redundant and pointless, right? Like that's that's why we you know so we people assume we agree on everything, and that's far from the truth. Uh, well, <laughs> Ruckus Lane, uh, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. I am so thrilled that people can finally see this film. Uh, yeah. And I can't wait to talk with you in the future about future projects once those start happening. Top secret. We'll give you the inside scoop. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be great. But thank you so much. Take care. Yeah, I'm glad you. you're doing well. Thank you so much. It's good to see you. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. 
And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.